0: Amen. Thank you very much, Kelly, for reading that. And um, we're going to be in Genesis 1, and we're going to be in Genesis 1 generally uh, tonight, kind of like the whole chapter, but we read a little bit at the end there. And um, isn't it good news, uh, after doing 1 John, that this is actually quite easy to find in your Bibles? so um, <laughs> do, do grab that and keep it open. Um, we are going to be in the evening services doing some big steps through the whole of scripture and our hope as we do that is that we will really really love and enjoy finding out brand new things if we've been a Christian for years and years but if we've just walked into the church that there'll also be something for you in that and we're going to get like this whole sweep of God's great big story. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know how you spent this uh, weekend in our house. Um, I have to say, no one was that into watching the coronation on Saturday. Um, Toby, my youngest son, definitely wanted to do like, his football club, and like, everyone just wanted to carry on, and the dog had to be walked. And, and so I kind of had it on in the background, and I thought, well, I've got this kind of spacious day, we've got a like, real quiet weekend in the Moy house, and I thought, oh, those walls have been really bugging me. Um, You know like the bits where I could see one of my sons has kind of catapulted himself over the banisters and where he's done that there's these definite slightly greasy handprints and it's kind of built up over like maybe a year or so and I'm just looking at it going oh it's a bit grim. So um, I decided to get out like the paint and I just thought you know what I'm just I'm just touching up a little bit so it's fine so I just like get out the paint and, um, and off I'll go I'll start touching up of course, as soon as you start doing that, you see more and more bits that like, need touching up. And like, I just realized I went about doing this whole task of touching up loads of rooms in the house, like the lounge, the hallway, the kitchen, with zero preparation. I had not tied my hair back, I had not put old clothes on, I had not shut the dog in a different room. And so, of course, disaster. My hair was full of paint, I wrecked a cardigan, and our dog looks like he is prematurely aging um, as he got all these white flecks through him. And the thing is, it's like when you kind of rush on ahead at things, and you rush on at scripture, and you, but you don't know the foundations, you haven't got yourself ready for the task, Um, you kind of miss out on a whole load of stuff and often make quite a lot of messes and mistakes. And so kind of getting to grips with this first bit of Scripture is just massively important because it will actually help us understand all of Scripture that is to come. And so here we are in Genesis 1. And in those first few chapters in Genesis, it's amazing. There's so much in there, so many key truths and Christian doctrine. And so in those passages, we find the doctrine of God. That means just who's, who is God? What's God like? We discover that. We discover why humans are so valuable, why work is good, and why unemployment is actually really hard. We discover these things. We meet the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. We get the picture where the entering in of sin and death occurs and we begin to find the answers as to why things have gone wrong. But we also come across judgment for the first time and in these first few chapters in Genesis, it's where we first meet the promise of a saviour. And so there's so much packed into those first few chapters. So what are we going to do tonight? Well, just two um, two things, okay? The first thing we're going to do is look at how we read Genesis chapter 1. And then the second thing we're going to do is look at what does it say? What are some of the things it teaches us that we can actually apply in 2023 in May in London? okay so those two things so first off how on earth are we going to read genesis because it doesn't take uh, much to kind of realize, uh, does it, that people often, especially in the Western world, will come at this chapter and the first thing they, they might ask is, is the language figurative or is it literal? Did God really make the world in seven days? What about Adam? Was Adam a real person? Um, is the earth a young earth or an old earth? Yeah, all those kind of questions we come, people come at this kind of passage with. And before you've even got a chance to kind of talk about it, you're kind of bombarded with those questions. And um, I want to say that those questions are good and and good to ask, and um, that actually as Christians, as God's people, we should never be afraid of asking really difficult questions. God has asked us to worship him with our mind, our soul, and our strength. Our mind's a beautiful gift that God has given us, and thinking is a good thing. However... However, God has also given us the gift of teachers within the body of Christ. And I don't think questioning into a complete void where nothing is offered to help us is also very helpful. Because actually we have the gift of teaching, we have the gift of information. And so it's good to kind of plant some of those things in as we weigh up and wrestle with our questions. So... Did God really create the world in seven days? I'm just going to really quickly tell you where I land on that, okay? Um, there's, I have not done a great big bit of research into this for the sermon, okay? But this is roughly where I land. It's so rude. I don't care. That is where I ultimately land. But let me just kind of explain that a little bit. <laughs> Can God create a world in seven days? hundred percent Yes. Because if he can't, he's not the God I want to believe in. Because the God I believe in can literally do anything, okay? But did he create the world in seven days? Did God create the world in seven days? I don't think Genesis 1 tells us. I don't think when Moses was writing these accounts that that is why he wrote Genesis 1. Now for some of us we may need to continue to wrestle with those questions and actually that will be really important for us and the things that God's given us to think about and do and I've got tons of resources I can recommend to you so if that's someone you know you want to think about all of that a lot more then please do. But let me just explain why I don't think Genesis 1 is talking about whether God made the world in seven days or not. Several literal days. So although I think God could do it, I don't think Genesis 1 is saying he necessarily did. So we need to be careful when we look at Genesis 1, because it is a piece of literature. Okay, And um, one of the things that I think about this piece of literature is that it's been crafted incredibly carefully. And it's crafted in such a way that if you were to hand it in as a science essay... Or as a history essay, you'd get a really low mark. You might get a high mark if it was an English lit. Or if you were writing a song. Because I actually think there's elements of it that are song, that are lyrical, that are poetic. And we get this from the repetition of language that takes place. So if you, if you look at the whole of Genesis 1, and there's some things that are repeated throughout. The phrase morning and evening... Do you notice how often that's repeated? And then it was morning and evening the next day, and then it was morning and evening the next day. And, um, and then it's that God said, and God spoke, God said, God said, God spoke, God said. That's repeated a lot too. And then the other thing that was repeated is, it's, very, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then at the end, it's very good. And that's repeated throughout. And I told the 9:30 congregation this morning that if I was a really cool vicar, I'd have like made a rap or something, because I think you could like actually put a drum beat to this, and you could like actually do something really uh, clever and rhythmic with this passage. Um, but that's that's just like not my gifting, and I'm not cool. So there we go. The other thing that is repeated is the word God. In the Hebrew text, the word God appears 35 times in 31 verses. That is an incredible and deliberate piece of repetition. We are not looking at a science textbook here. We're not looking at a history essay. We're looking, I believe, at something much more akin to a song. It's a cleverly and deliberately crafted piece of literature. I find um, verse 16, really funny to read. Um, the last bit of verse 16 just goes, and he made the stars. And you're like, oh, right, okay. Just like, he, he made the stars. Like, okay, cool. Um, it's just, it's, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because if you're coming to the text and wanting, say, an astrological interpretation of space and sky, Genesis 1 is going to massively disappoint you. It's just like, and he made the stars. Um, We had a curate here um, a while back now, a guy called Dennis, and he had this lovely phrase about God. He called God the sun, moon, and star maker. Um, Beautiful uh, way of describing God. God made the stars, but it doesn't tell us how. It doesn't tell us how long. It doesn't really put it into any uh, frame like that. And so we get these things that come up And um, yeah, so it it tells us this, but it tells us, what it does tell us about God is that he's very present, very there, very with us. And God is so um, close and with us and part of creation and intimately involved in the activity of it. He is there, but the how is not what's being asked. The why question is being asked asked. So just a couple of other things that come up when we talk about Genesis 1 that can um, be confusing when we talk to other people outside the church or we talk to each other. Um, One is whether Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 contradict each other. If you read your Bible, you'll see that in several occasions throughout the Bible, the same event is described twice. You get it in Judges chapter 4 and 5. You get it in Exodus chapter 14 and 15. In that chapter, Exodus 14, you get kind of like a historical description of how, um, how they fled out of Egypt. But in chapter 15, you get the song, you get Miriam's song. Two events, they're repeated, but with two different kind of styles of literature, two different things that are occurring. And I believe that's what's happening with Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 1, much more this poetic song. Genesis 2 kicks in, actually, with a bit more of the more history and factual stuff coming a little bit through it and therefore I wouldn't press Genesis 1 for the questions of how it's a bit like and I I heard this I'm stealing this from another person's sermon um, but it was a good illustration I like it it's a bit like right imagine two students they're on the beach and it's nighttime and they're walking along the beach and they see a light out at sea and one of the students sees a light and he happens to be a physicist so he kind of is trying to work out what type of light is it what angle is the light hitting uh, the beach at where's it coming from uh, let me get my compass out and find the exact location of where this light beam is coming from and what, what all everything about i don't know what physicists talk about but all the stuff is and he was like focused in on that and the other student has got out their mobile phone and is calling the case guard because clearly it's SOS that they are signaling. And you see, the questions we ask when we look at something determine what we get out of the situation, what we read from the situation. And so Genesis 1, I would suggest to you you're going to gain a lot more if you ask the question why rather than the question how. Okay. Right, so second part of the talk now. We're now going to look at the, like, well, okay, why is Genesis 1 written? What is it telling us about God and our purpose? And what on earth can we take from that right now in May 2023? Okay, so here's a few things that I'm going to just bring out for us tonight. First, it teaches us a lot about God and the better the image of God we have in our heads, the better we're gonna live in relationship with God out in the world on Monday morning and the rest of the week. So it talks us a lot about God. It says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We learn there was a beginning. We learn that before the beginning, there was God. And we learn that God created. In fact, that Hebrew word, created, is actually a really unusual word. It's not used much in the Bible. And it's a word that means God literally created out of nothing. It's not like there was a canvas and a pot of paint and God got the paint and drew on the canvas. It was like literally there was nothing. And God created. And we learn that this God created the world very deliberately. Now, there's lots of different ways of thinking about why the world is here. Um, and uh, Ava history just kind of grouped them into two groups, maybe a modern uh, understanding. Well, you know, the Big Bang happened. It just It just it arrived. Or like an axe, it just it just happened, um, and that that's that's kind of one view of why the the Earth is here. The other is sort of a more ancient view, a more mythological view that you can find in lots of myth mythology stuff, and um, and it's kind of like the idea that the Earth kind of was created as a sort of like kind of accident out of other things that were already there so like you get ancient mythical stories like of sea monsters um, dying and then out of the spewing dying sea monster the earth accidentally is formed and so you kind of have that mythological view that the earth was kind of formed but out of some sort of cosmic-y god fight thing excess that was that was kind of going on Or this it just happened like that and the is telling us here that, that neither of these are tree. Um, it's saying God created the world. It was real that he decided and created it. And from that, we see God's relationship with the world. So things like that the world is good. That God took time to enjoy the world. God got pleasure from it. I love that word good, it's just repeated all the time and it was good, it was good, it was good. And then when he gets to us humans, very good. God took pleasure in the world and There have at times been this sort of idea that with creation, maybe um, everything of the earth and the world is bad. So like we should just hide ourselves away in monasteries, flagellate ourselves, like anything that's pleasurable is just like horrendous and wrong and bad and we have nothing to do with that. Actually, no, we're not to fear pleasure or the delights of this world. They've been given to us. Though we're not to live for them or worship them and that's another sermon for a different time. But also out of this is a sense in which God is um, calling us to care for his planet and his world. And, um, you know, Christians ought to be at the forefront of thinking about caring for this creation that God has very deliberately made. So we should care about the environment. We should care about what we can do to help both the earthly planet and the human beings that are in it. We should care when there's injustice. We should care that there's still slavery today. We should care about all these things and we should play our part in them. But here's the difference, I think, to the world in this we can do that without anxiety. You see, there's lots of people walking around London who would say yes to all those things, but there's a lot of people carrying a lot of anxiety with them. And the reason I say we can play our part and do what we can but not have anxiety is that we know that God the creator is ultimately in control. And that one day we hear in Revelation he is going to renew the heavens and the earth. That means the earth is gonna need renewing. The earth is not all okay. It is sick. And we sadly experience some of the devastation of that, both in human sin, in the physical sin that kind of ripples through the destructive bits of nature when things go wrong, like floods and earthquakes and all of that. We experience the implications of that but we don't need to work ourselves up into an anxious frenzy. He's got it in his hands. So let's do our part. Let's do the bit we can do. Let's do the bit he calls us to do. It won't be everything, but let's do the bit he calls us to do. And let's live free from anxiety. And I think that would be a powerful testimony to people in our world if we go about living in that freedom so the passage teaches us about God that God's like amazing and powerful and big and incredible it teaches us about creation care and that creation is good and wonderful and we're to enjoy it but the third and final thing and this is where I'm going to land is this and bear with me on this one because it might sound a bit odd okay It teaches us that the Trinity is really, really important and that that should impact your Monday morning tomorrow. Okay, so just kind of bear with me. It teaches us that the Trinity is really, really important and the Trinity is right there at the very, very beginning. So listen carefully here. Have you noticed when you read through the first few verses in particular, but as you go through that passage, that when God Speaks, things are created. That the spoken word is powerful, that it becomes an agent of activity, that it's actually close on being personified. And if you know your Bible, you'll know that when you get to the Gospel of John, it says some really significant things about the spoken word. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And as you go on reading, you discover that the word is Jesus. So right there in the beginning, you have the Father, and you have the word, Jesus and then you get the spirit. If you look at verse two, the spirit was hovering over the waters. And um, the Hebrew word for hovering is like a mother, a bird kind of flapping her wings and like gathering and, and protecting her chicks. That the spirit that's being spoken of isn't this sort of like floaty idea of something. It's 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 personified, it's actually a, a being, and it's it's the Holy Spirit. And then we see that even more when he comes to the creation of, of the humans. The spirit breathes, and the Holy Spirit is there. And so you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there in creation. And they form this beautiful community singing this wonderful song. And then one day, as a community, they say, do you know what? Let's expand our community. And so they expanded their community through creating the world. And creating us to reflect the image of God. And why do we exist? We exist to join that community. Our purpose is to be drawn into community. And... (laughs) This is really, really important for us to get and get in our heads, because it's telling us that this God who created everything loves us, and God wants us to walk around tomorrow morning knowing that we are loved and treasured and have access into this community of Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is so significant. And I don't know, if you kind of if you read closely, it's like. Um, God's created nature and it kind of praises God, but God in turn says it is good and praises it. And we're kind of sung over and enveloped in this song that is going on that God actually sings over us, that He delights in us. And this is so incredible and so freeing if we know that we are delighted in, that we are loved. We can walk around so secure, so free. And really this passage is saying your purpose is to be loved, your purpose is to be brought in to this community. And it's why when, you know, when we do look at nature and you, know, you listen to the waves or you see a beautiful uh, mountain scene or you see something, it feels a little bit spiritual. Because it is singing to God and God is singing over it. The problem with us humans is that we find it harder to enter that song and enter that community than the mountains do and the waves do. And that is because of our special nature that God has made us in his image with freedom, with choices. And because we've gone whatever, I want to be Lord of my own life. Many barriers build up and we find it hard to enter the song. And we're going to sort of look at the kind of the the fall and, and what that kind of means. But I think the most powerful thing for you and I to do tonight is to take time to allow the spirit to confirm the father saying he loves you so that when you head out of here, you can walk around in your week and in your workplaces knowing you are a beloved child of God that you're part of the community that you're in the song and you see what that does to us is that we can we can cheer on other people that are doing well because it's okay God's got us he's got our life it's okay he loves us he loves us as much as he loves them you know we can we can do our best with our GCSE exams and all of that but but we can know that God loves us. Whatever grade we get doesn't determine whether he loves us less or, or more. God's got a plan for us and he loves you guys. And being secure in that song impacts us deeply. Shall we stand together? Because we're just going to invite the Spirit just to hover over us and to speak the Father's love into us tonight.